this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Well, turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Book of Genesis, if you're using one of the few Bibles, it's page 5, first part of your Bible. And last week, we began a brand new series called Anticipation, the study of Genesis. And in these weeks in November and December, as we move toward Christmas, this is a time of anticipation in our culture. We're, we're looking forward to Christmas. We're, we're anticipating that. And of course, as Christians, what we celebrate at Christmas is the coming of our Savior, coming of Christ. And so what we're doing in this series is we're, we're looking at how the coming of Jesus, which is what we celebrate at Christmas, was anticipated through the lives of six individuals in the book of Genesis. We looked at Adam last week, and this week we're going to talk about Noah, anticipating Christ through Noah's story. To really gain a, a good, under, good grasp of the whole Bible, it's really important to understand the first book of the Bible. And so we're, we're going to get an overview of Genesis in this series, and we're looking at real lives, the things that we face in real life, but more than that, we're looking at how the lives of these six people in Genesis really anticipated the coming of our Savior. Let's talk about anticipating Christ through Noah's story today. And uh, like last week, we're covering lots of ground, uh, parts of, of four chapters. And so uh, rather than read a text at the beginning, we're going to look at many texts as we go through the message today. But let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence with us this morning, and we thank you for the fact that, that our Savior is present from the beginning of the Bible to the end, and we see Christ so clearly in Genesis. We see the way that, that the lives of people in Genesis really anticipated the coming of our Savior, which is what we we celebrate at, at Christmas. And so, Father, as we anticipate the fact that, that Christmas is coming, help us to, to see how the, the Savior was anticipated in the very first book of the Bible and how um, Christ is everywhere in, in Scripture from the first book of the Bible to the end. And so, Lord, speak to us now. We, we've come together today with different sorts of, of challenges and, and needs uh, coming together after maybe a, a, a very busy week and just different things um, going on in our lives. But Lord, this is a time to be refreshed. Uh, this is a time to be encouraged, to be built up, and, and most of all, to hear from you. And so we pray that that would happen right now, that you would just give us, give us the kind of... of of, of hearts and, and ears and minds really to receive right now from your spirit. And so we pray that you would speak to us now through your word, the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. On April 26, 1986, a sudden power surge 
at the Chernobyl nuclear reactor in the Soviet Union resulted in a series of explosions that produced a fire that sent a radioactive plume into the atmosphere that would end up covering a very large geographical area. Little did I know at the time that one day I would go on to pastor a church with a very extensive ministry to Belarusian children who were not even born in 1986, but they were going to suffer all kinds of physical problems and sicknesses as a result of what their parents had experienced and being born in that area where so much radioactivity had occurred. But I remember sitting there that April day in my college dorm room and watching this event unfold on the TV screen and being transfixed. I remember seeing helicopters flying over the the crippled reactor which was on fire and they were trying to dump solution to contain the fire. But even then, we knew that the big story was not so much going to be the fire, but the fallout. The fallout from this radioactivity in, in the atmosphere. Well, last week, we looked at Genesis 3, which was really like the fire as Adam and Eve make the fateful choice to sin against God, a perfect world is is ruined. But immediately after that began the fallout. So in chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin against God. By chapter 4 of Genesis, what's happening? One of Adam and Eve's sons, Cain, murders his brother Abel in cold blood, And God sentences Cain to be a wanderer. And very tellingly, Cain is afraid that he's going to be attacked. He's obviously aware that the earth by this point is becoming a very ruthless, violent place. Also in chapter 4, we we meet the character of, of Lamech, who brags about multiple killings, multiple wives. And so we not only see that the earth is becoming a very violent place, but God's plan for faithful monogamous marriage is being cast aside in in favor of of bigamy. Well, all of this, this is just in chapter 4. Sin enters the world in chapter 3. By chapter 4, we're already getting this devastating fallout. At the beginning of chapter 6, in verses 1 through 4, we see more brutality, sexual perversion, and so... What's happening is that the perfect world that God created has become just sort of a a chaotic, depraved cesspool by this point. So what is God going to, to do? Well, we come to the flood. And in chapter 6, in verses 5 and 6, it says, "...the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually." And the Lord regretted that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. It's interesting, the first three words in verse 5 that we see there, the Lord saw, that's reminiscent of of what God says over and over again in chapter 1, where we see over and over again, God creates all these different things perfectly, and it says, the Lord saw that it was good. 
The Lord saw that it was good. Over and over. Now, what happens? The Lord saw the wickedness of people. And not just wickedness on the outside. Not just wicked actions. But evil thoughts as well. He saw that the, 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 every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? On the second floor of the Museum of Natural History in Smithsonian in D.C. is the world's largest flawless quartz sphere. It's a little bigger than a basketball. There's not a, a blemish or a mark on it. Well, suppose you were to take that out of its case and, and roll it through the mud. That would be awful, but you would presume that it could be cleaned up. The mud could be washed away. It could be shiny again. That's exactly the view of human nature that most people have in our culture. They think, sure, I mean, we we go through life and, and we may get a little bit of mud on ourselves from time to time, but we can be shined up again. The problems are all external. And we can just be you know, cleaned up. Most people think that's what Christianity is about. Most people think that's what the church is about. You know, but the Bible says we have a far deeper problem. We have a heart problem. It's not, something, it's not just a matter of cleaning up the exterior. We have a problem that goes down to our hearts. And it's a problem that only Christ and the Spirit of God can deal with. In the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 36, the Ezekiel prophesies about a new covenant, about the coming of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit and the fact that we can be born again, the fact that we can have a new heart. God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. But at this point... God is, he looks at the condition of, of the earth, and notice what he says here in Genesis 6 6. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And, and that term, the last phrase, that it, 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 when it says it grieved God to his heart, it doesn't just mean that God was, was sad that he had made human beings, that's an element of it. But the Hebrew term means more than sadness. It, it, when it says it grieved into his heart, it means that God had a sense of indignant rage when he looked at the condition of the earth. God was furious. He was angry at, what he, at the evil that he, he saw happening in his world. Um, and, and God is holy. This talk speaks to the holiness of God and and the justice of God, that God is not a God who can just sweep evil beneath the rug. And speaking of museums in D.C., I'll never forget the first time that I visited the Holocaust Museum in D.C. And the room that struck me the most was a room where you walk in and you see thousands of shoes. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. It's unforgettable. You walk into this room and they're just piles, just thousands and thousands of shoes. The whole room smells like old leather. 
And they're shoes that were taken from people that were about to be gassed by the Nazis. And I remember walking into this room for the first time and seeing the sight and smelling the smell and thinking to myself, what if there were no God of justice? What if there were no God who punished evil? Then everything that I'm seeing would be meaningless, totally meaningless. Were there not a God of a righteous God of, of justice who, who punishes evil. But there most certainly is a God, a just God, who, who punishes evil. And God looks at the evil of the world and, and, and He's going to do this. We see in, in verse 7, The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. God is just going to wipe the whole thing out, but, verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. If you ever wondered how much of a difference one person can make, <laughs> think about Noah. Maybe you work in a, in a place where you're the only Christian, in your work environment, and you wonder, how much of a difference can I really make? Well, here's an example of someone who made a difference for the whole world. One person. What was different about Noah? We see it in verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, but what was the key to his life? Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. It was, it was God that made the difference in Noah's life. To walk with God means supernatural, intimate fellowship with God. And that was the difference in Noah's life. And when we get away from a close relationship with God, we're capable of some pretty rotten things. We don't have time to get into it today, but I mean, at one point later on in his life, Noah gets away from a walk with God, and all it takes is one day of being out of fellowship with God for Noah to do something just really kind of awful with a lot of terrible consequences. We see that in David's life as well. David was called a man after God's own heart, but he gets out of a close walk with God one day and, and commits a really terrible sin. And so this should be a lesson to us all in humility that we should never think that I'm beyond certain sins or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm beyond that. That could never happen to me. Oh, yes, it could. All we have to do is just get away from a walk with God and all kinds of, we're capable of some really terrible things. And so it's, it's, it's really something that should, we want to keep our walk with God close each and every day. Um, that was the, the key to Noah's, to Noah's, uh, Life, but even he got away from that at one point with some, some bad results. But what happens next? We, we see these instructions that God gives to Noah. If you look in your Bibles uh, at chapter 6, let's pick it up in verse 13. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. 
This is how you were to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And that last verse brings us to the second thing that we see here, which is faith. And we see that in verse 22. It says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Now, the language here is very simple and straightforward. But think about the faith that went into this. Think about the faith that it took to, um, to take the time that it took to build the ark, the time that was involved, the expense that was involved. Think of the ridicule that Noah no doubt suffered at the hands of his unbelieving neighbors as he constructed this huge craft. Hebrews 11 defines faith for us. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In the ESV study Bible note on Hebrews 11.1, 1, by the way, I really commend the ESV study Bible to you. If you don't yet have one, be a great gift for, uh, for Christmas. But the, the notes are so comprehensive in it. But I, they, this is just great in defining faith. It says, by defining faith as assurance and conviction, the author of Hebrews indicates that biblical faith is not a vague hope grounded in imaginary wishful thinking. Instead, faith is a settled confidence that something in the future, something that is not yet seen, but has been promised by God, will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. That's, a, that's just a, a spot-on definition of biblical faith. And we see that in Noah's life. Hebrews 11:7 says, By faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Noah constructed the ark. In other words, he acted. Genuine faith results in action. If we really believe, if we really trust in what God has said is going to come to pass, then even if we can't yet see it, we're going to act on it. And Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it's, it's impossible to please God. So in what areas of your life are you acting on something that you can't yet see because you believe that, that God is going to provide, that God is going to bring it to pass? You know, we can, there are all kinds of ways in which we, we can put faith into action. And we, we do that as we give, trusting that God is going to meet our needs. We do that as we share Christ with other people. If you're in a conversation this, this week 
with a friend and you have the opportunity to to transition that conversation to spiritual things, are you going to trust that God, take a step of faith and trust that God is going to give you the words that you need to share? I mean, this gets very practical day by day. It's, it's a matter of acting on what we say we believe. How much of the Bible do we really believe? The parts that we do. <laughs> and so... We, we, faith is something that we act on. So Noah does that, and, 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 and we see that here. Um, we, we act in faith as a church as well, not only as individual believers, but, but faithful churches move forward into areas that we, that we can't yet see. That's why it's so important as a church family to have big goals, visions, dreams that we're moving toward. We can't yet see them they haven't yet come to pass but we believe that god is going to do it and in order for it to happen it requires the intervention of god and it requires god's people to move forward in faith and so churches faithful churches uh, do this as well churches need to exercise faith to please the lord so we see flood faith and then fulfillment fulfillment look at chapter 7 and verse 16 and those that entered the ark, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. I love that last phrase. The Lord shut him in. Everything has gathered into the ark at this point, but Noah doesn't shut himself in. God shuts him in. This is God's grace and power and, and protection, uh, just as we experience in our own lives. God did it. The Lord the Lord shut him in. Well, after 40 days and 40 nights of, of rain and, and the flooding of the earth, the earth dries and it's time to come out of the ark. And notice the first thing that Noah does when he comes out. He worships. It says in chapter 8 and verses 20 and 21, that Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. Now it's interesting, in, in Hebrew, the word pleasing uh, there, it says, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Hebrew word carries the idea of soothing. Soothing. It says, when the Lord smelled the soothing aroma, there was something about the aroma of those sacrifices that Noah made, those burnt offerings, that was soothing to God. Well, Soothing from what? What was God soothed from? Soothed from His wrath. His anger. His, his rage at, at sin. And, and by the way, God is not naive about the fact that even after the flood, there's still going to be lots of evil as, 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 as we see here. He knows it's going, to, it's going to be that way. But there's something about these sacrifices that that is, is soothing to him, and it satisfies his wrath. It, it somehow pacifies his, his righteous 
indignant rage against sin. And that's because those burnt offerings, those sacrifices that Noah makes when he comes out of the ark foreshadow another sacrifice. Because no sacri- no, none of these animal sacrifices that we see in the Old Testament could, could really take away sin, but they pointed to another sacrifice. They pointed to the sacrifice of Jesus that, that, that was ultimately going to, um, to, to satisfy God's righteous wrath against sin, as Paul points out in Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Now that word propitiation that we see in verse 25, is, it's not a common word in our culture today, but it's really, really important that we understand what the Bible is talking about here when it says that, that Christ was put forward as a propitiation by His blood, listen, a propitiation is this. A propitiation is a sacrifice that turns away God's wrath. A sacrifice that turns away God's wrath. That's, what it's, that's the meaning when it says that the God smell, that the soothing aroma of these sacrifices, that, that somehow his, his righteous wrath against sin was, was pacified, satisfied, so that it was turned away from people. Why? Because God knew that eventually the perfect sacrifice was going to come. God knew that, that He Himself was going to become a human being. This is what we remember at Christmas, what we celebrate. That God, God knew that He was going to become a human being and that, that He was going to take sin upon Himself. The Bible says that on the cross, He who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus took all of the evil upon Himself. And, and, and so that the, God's righteous wrath against sin was satisfied. That's what propitiation is, is all about. And this brings us to the story of the rainbow. Let's look at what it says in Genesis 9. They come, they're out of the ark now, and God says, I will establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the Waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Now, obviously, God is talking about the rainbow here, but it's very interesting 
the word that he uses for bow is, is the word for a warrior's bow. Like a bow that shoots arrows. And God is saying, I've, I've, I've laid up my war bow. What's, what's going on here? Well, think about it. When we see a rainbow, which, which direction is it pointed in? Now think about a war bow, okay? Think about a bow that shoots arrows. Is the bow turned down toward the earth? That would make us nervous. The bow is turned up. It's turned up. Charles Spurgeon talked about the fact that what's behind this is that it was going to be God himself who was going to take the arrows for us. Isaiah 53.5 says that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. That, that propitiatory sacrifice that, that turned away the wrath of God, it's turned away from us. The bow is turned away from us, but it's pointed up. It's pointed at God himself. Because God knew that He was going to become a human being and He was going to take the arrows that we deserve for our sin. Hey, think about, think about when a rainbow occurs. A rainbow always can, occurs at the conjunction of sun and storm. It's always at that moment when the storm has just passed and sunshine is beginning to, to stream through. It's always at that, that moment of, of, of conjunction between sun and storm. That is exactly what we see in the cross of Christ. Because in the cross, we see the storm of God's righteous wrath against sin. And we see the sunshine of God's love. For sinners. And listen, our Savior went right into the heart of the storm. God became man and went right into the heart of the storm of God's wrath against sin, became sin for us, absorbed the wrath so that it could be turned away from those who believe, so that there could be sunshine for us. Jesus went right into the middle of the storm and, in, and, and took the lightning bolts so that there could be a rainbow for us. Now think about that the next time that you see one. Let's pray. Now, Father, we thank You for the Gospel. We thank You for the good news of Christ that we see right at the beginning of Your Word. Father, thanks for, for your grace, for your mercy, for your, your love, the fact that you could love us without compromising your holiness, your righteousness, your righteous wrath against sin. We, we thank you that, that for those who trust in the Savior, that your, that your wrath has been absorbed by another. We continue to reflect before the Lord for a moment. Perhaps you're here today and you're not certain about whether or not you've trusted in the Savior, 
know, the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's holy sin must be punished, and, and the deal is this. We can take the punishment ourselves, or we can turn to one and, and trust in one who, who took it for us, absorbed it in our place. That's Jesus. If you've never done so, would you turn to Jesus and trust Him today? Say, Lord, I, I believe. I know I, des- I don't deserve Your rescue, but I believe that, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that He rose from the dead so that I can be forgiven and have eternal life. And right now, I, I turn to Jesus, receive Him, and rest in His finished work for me. Jesus tells us that when we trust in Him, we're to acknowledge Him publicly. In just a moment, we're going to have a song of of invitation. And if the prayer of your heart is to follow Jesus, in just a moment, as others stand, I want to invite you just to slip out. We're going to be here at the front. Just come share with me what what God is doing in, in your life. We want to celebrate with you, help you to begin your life in Christ, set up a time for you to be Uh, baptized, as we saw beautifully portrayed earlier. Or maybe you're here today and God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family. And if God's working in your heart, then you need to act on that without without delay. This is not something that we want to put off. When God God moves, we need to to act and act in faith. If God's leading you here, we want to invite you to slip out today and to come. So, Father, we give you now this time of decision. Lord, would you work in hearts for those that need to go public with a decision to follow Jesus. Lord, for those that you're leading to our church family. Lord, for anyone who has a need, um, they need to make a public commitment about. Or would you have your way in hearts right now? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. 
I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer and find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.